Thanks for being with us and worshiping with us this morning. A couple things we want to go over before we have our message today. If you can go ahead and grab your red card that was on your seat when you walked in today and fill that out. Uh, we want everyone to fill that out, especially if you're a guest or visitor today. If you can fill that out, give it to us at the table in the lobby. We'll give you a free t-shirt. Is anyone wearing the t-shirt today? Where's Matthew at? Oh, Matthew's down. Fisher, you're wearing the t-shirt, aren't you? All right, this is what the t-shirt looks like. All right, so let's go, Fisher. All right, so you, we'll give you that t-shirt um, today, and we just want to be able to connect with you um, and get some information from you. Life groups. Who all was in a life group this week? Raise of hands. All right. Who all enjoyed their life group this week? All right, good. Hopefully the same number. So life groups is a big part of what we do at Foundry. So if you're not in a life group, we want you to be able to get plugged into a life group. Um, so if you are interested in being in a life group, you can mark that on your red card as well, and we'll get connected with you. If you would like to give at Foundry, you can do that two ways. Um, one of the ways is dropping the money in the buckets on your way out the sanctuary today. And the second way is giving online at our website, myfoundry.org. Is that right? All right, myfoundry.org is the website. And as a lot of you probably have noticed, Elijah, our lead pastor, is not here this morning. He is traveling to Kentucky for a wedding. Um, so he'll be coming back tonight. Today we get to hear from Tim Burnett. Um, he's bringing the message. Yeah, let's hear for Pastor Tim. So... Um, I know him as Pastor Tim because he was my youth pastor for a very small amount of time, probably like three or four months when I was in seventh grade. And some of you knew me when I was in seventh grade, mainly the brooms here. I was a punk when I was in seventh grade. So Pastor Tim got to be my youth pastor back then. Um, he's been in ministry a long time, um, doing youth, youth ministry. He's been a lead pastor, um, so he'll bring a great message today. A couple interesting facts that you'll need to know about him if you don't already know. The first is not, it could be a good thing, maybe not. He's a big Alabama Crimson Tide fan. So there's that. Well, two other things. One, he's a drummer. I feel like you'd want people to know that. And second, or thirdly, he's a big fan, maybe one of the biggest fans of the Christian band Striper. Now, if you don't know who Striper is, they're 80s, 90s. Their prime, their prime was in the 80s. They're still going today because Pastor Tim will post a, a Facebook video of a concert he's going to every once in a while. But, so he's a big Striper fan, a drummer, an Alabama fan. Um, but most of all, he's going to bring our message today. So let's welcome him as he comes. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> well, thanks um, and for that introduction. Although, one correction. He said that in seventh grade he was a punk. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think that's changed personally, but <clears throat> anyway, anyway, still punk. Uh, well, don't hold the Alabama thing against me. I just, you know, we'll just root for the SEC if, or whatever. But uh, anyway, listen, I am absolutely thrilled to death to be here. As he said, um, several of the folks in this room, uh, I was their youth pastor and worked with them and, and know several of the parents and families from Dayspring. And so um, it, it's an awesome, when, when Elijah said, hey, would you preach? I mean, it wasn't even, I would have changed anything on my schedule except maybe a Striper concert. I, I, would, have, <laughs> I would have been here. Um, and so today is, it's the church's birthday, if you didn't know that. It's what we call Pentecost. Pentecost just uh, in the Greek, it's just from a Greek word that means 50th. 
And um, what you do is you just kind of, you take, um, well, if you're a Jew, you take Passover. And for us Christians, we'll take Easter. And we count from Easter, Resurrection Sunday, count 50 days. And you get to today. And what it is, it's the birth of the church. I mean, it's, it's the birth of the church. And so we get to say happy birthday uh, to the church and the, and the spirit coming and filling us. Um, and so what happened is, you know, Jesus dies, he's resurrected, he spends time with his disciples, and then he ascends into heaven. And there's just kind of this brief time where early Christians are just kind of on their own. You, you ever seen a, you know, relay race and, and, and a relay race that has the baton and you got to hand that baton off and, and that's like the crucial moment. If you, if you miss that, you, you mess everything up. Well, this is kind of like the holy batons being handed. Jesus is not there in the flesh to encourage them anymore. He's not there to, in the flesh to empower them because he's ascended. But he says, I'm going to give you the spirit. And the spirit's going to literally live with inside of you. It's going to dwell within you. And so you can check all this out in Acts chapter 2. It, it, the spirit of God falls on the people. Today there's about 120 people meet in the room. Spirit falls on them. Amazing things happen. They begin to speak in languages they had never spoken before, knowing each other's languages and being able to talk to each other. And then incredible things happen. And, then you can, and guess what, though? Here's what I love about this. It didn't just, credible things didn't just happen on that day. I mean, you go and read the rest of Acts. Go read the whole entire Bible. Matter of fact, look around you today. The Spirit of God is still doing incredible things. How many of you would like for the Spirit of God to move in you and through you and do some incredible things? I, I hope so. All right, well, good, good. And, and by the way, I, I feel like he is. This is, uh, you guys are um, onto something here. Uh, and, and we need the church to be active in our culture today, and you guys are doing an incredible job of that. So uh, Elijah said, hey, I, I kind of want you to, you know, preach on that, that idea, the Holy Spirit, uh, specifically the role of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to do two things, and I'm going to try to do it briefly. Um, I think I asked if, if how long he usually preached, and someone told me 20, 25 minutes. I said, great, I'm going to have to cut my message in half. So we're going to go quickly here. But it's twofold is what I want to do this morning. One, I just kind of want to define who the Spirit is, because um, sometimes we get confused on that. There, there, there is a, even with, with seasoned Christians, there's a misconception. And then, and I'm going to do that briefly, and the second thing, though, is I want to talk about kind of the benefits of the Spirit, what, what He does in and through you, all right? Does that make sense? So, um, so that's, that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's talk, first of all, about who is the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you four facets real quick. Um, it, just to try to describe who he is. Here's the first one. If, if you're a note taker, and I am, I like to do that. Matter of fact, I, I'm discouraged because we don't have fill in the blanks. I, love, I think it just, if, you don't have, if you don't have a fill in the blank, you're not really learning. But anyway, that's just how I am. But here's what I want you to do. If you, you want to write notes, you can. But here's the first thing I want you to understand about the Holy Spirit. He is a person, not an it. All right? The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. Now, let me explain that a little bit. I don't know about you. How many in here are Star Wars fans? All right, good, good. I figured we'd have a few. I will ne I'm, I'm older than many of you, but I will never forget when my dad, at five or six years of age, took me to see the first Star Wars. I mean, it was just, I've never seen anything like that in your life, you know, on that screen, and it was just incredible. And then, of course, now through the years, we've had numerous Star Wars movies, and there is a famous line in, in each of those movies. It's said in every one of them, and you can say it with me. May the what? Force be with you. May the force be with you. Now, the force in, in Star Wars is just kind of the, you know, it's, it's just kind of what holds the universe together. Uh, to be honest with you, it's really nothing more than what New Age religions offer today. But unfortunately, I've heard some very well-meaning intended Christians who will kind of liken the Holy Spirit 
unto a force. And we shouldn't do that. He's not a force because what that does is it takes the personhood away from the Spirit of God. Now, can, can I get, if I titled this message, I'd call it Holy Spirit 101, all right? Um, can I get, for just one second, I promise I won't be long on this, but can I get really technical for just a minute? I think we need to get technical first, and then we'll get practical. But, because um, some of you are not in school right now, and I know you're missing that, and you wish you were. So we'll give you, I want to give you a little bit of grammar, all right? Here, here's what I want you to understand. This helps us to understand he's a person. When, when we use the personal pronouns, he or him, referring to the Holy Spirit, we do that because Jesus did that. That's how Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit. Now, in, in Greek, there's three um, gender options for pronouns. You have masculine, you have feminine, you have neuter. Makes sense, right? Uh, that's what you've got. Now, according to Greek grammar, pronouns must match the gender to the noun to which they prefer, or, or which they, they refer to. So if you say, if, if you refer to, uh, in other words, spirit, which is pneuma in the Greek, it's a neuter gender, then you would just kind of call it an it. You would say it. But here's what I want you to take note. John 6, 13 by using this rule of grammar, it should read, when it, the spirit of truth, comes. But rather, John deliberately puts it this way. He says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes. What happens is John just kind of breaks all rules of Greek grammar there. And I think he's doing it to go out of his way to say, listen, the Holy Spirit is personal. Please don't make him impersonal. Don't call it an it. Don't call it a force. He is real. And of course, we also know he's a person because you know what? He does what people do. We, we know that, um, I, just, I just wrote a few things here that we can see that happens here um, in the life of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it says, um, he speaks, he teaches, he admonishes, he's tempted or tested, even according to Acts 5.9. He has emotion, he has a will, he prays. So those are all things that a person does, right? So, so just, you know, I want you to get that. Um, just turn to your neighbor and say, see, I told you he was a person. Right, good, good, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, may the Holy Spirit be with you, not the force, right? All right, so that's the first thing. Second thing I just want to say real quick about this is that he is the third person of the Trinity. Now, hopefully you have learned that and understand that, but that is, can be such a confusing concept, and there's so many analogies out there that really hurt uh, the concept of the Trinity. So in Christian theology, we don't believe in three gods, of course. We, we, we go back to... Um, the great Shema passage in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We believe that we serve one God, but he manifests himself in three different personalities. You have God the Father, you have God the Son, you have God the Holy Spirit. Same God, but three distinct personalities. So that means that the Holy Spirit is not lesser than the Father. He's not lesser than the Son. He's co-equal. He's co-eternal. They are what we call in theology, they're ontological in nature. They're the same essence, but they have different roles and different functions, all right? Does that make sense? I mean, that's, that's like the, the fastest I've ever explained the Trinity in my life right there. But hope, I'm trusting that most of you understand that. We serve one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Same being, same essence, three persons. Um, and, then, and then two other quick facets, and then I'm going to get to the meat of the message. So we, believe, we know he's a person. We know he's the, the third person of the Trinity. And then secondly, or thirdly, I really want to highlight this, and I'll, and I'll explain why in just a minute, more in just a minute. But he was active in creation. And in Genesis chapter 1, the end of verse 2 and end of verse 3, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. All that God has created, he created through his Spirit and through the Son, Jesus. I mean, all three are involved in that. Now, that's important because in just a moment, we're going to talk about regeneration. Because guess what? The Spirit of God is still in the business of creating. 
He's recreating you and he's recreating me. And that's one of my favorite aspects of the Spirit of God. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. And then the fourth thing I just want to say is this. He is active in creating or was active in creating Scripture. Right? He was active in creating Scripture. Now, this is why this is important. I don't know about you because I'm an avid reader. I read a lot of books. And I've read a lot of different things, secular, Christian, you name it. But this book right here, is the only book I've ever read that has really changed my life. And and it's amazing how many different authors over 1,500 years from different parts of the world have poured into this, and they all point to one thing, is Jesus. All right? That is not an accident. That That is specific. That's designed by the Spirit of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. So when Paul instructed Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God, he was not talking so much about the Holy Spirit's role in the process as he was saying we should view uh, inspired as meaning it's God-breathed, which, by the way, is another word for, for spirit. It means, means breath. It's the very breath of God. Old Testament, same thing. Peter said this. He said in 2 Peter 1, Verses 20, 21, um, he said, um, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or, or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. All right? So when we say that God gave us the Bible, we are saying with certainty that the role of God, specifically the Holy Spirit, w- was in that process in writing it. Does that make sense? That means you can trust this thing. That, that, that is so important. That, that the Holy Spirit was active in writing this. Okay, so, like I said, that was really fast. I went through that. There's just, I just want us to kind of, so, but I just want to make sure, are we clear? The Spirit is not an it, right? It, it is a who. It, it is the, the third person of the Trinity. He is real. He's alive, and he is, he's teaching you and admonishing you and instructing us and convicting us and things like that. All right, so here, that's what I want us to do. Let's now move into the meat of this message. What are the benefits, then, of being Spirit-filled? What's what is so important about, um, about the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, which, by the way, is the Spirit of God coming upon us, and now it, it's, it's God empowering us to be his representatives to the world. I'm going to talk about that in just some minutes, ways we can represent, but listen, when you and I leave here, we're to go out and we're to be representatives for Jesus. We are. And if you attach your name to Jesus and he attaches his name to you and people know that, then they're going to assume, okay, that's how Jesus must think and act and live. That's a pretty tough uh, (laughs) comparison sometimes, but that's what we're to be. We're to represent God here on this earth. So let's talk about some benefits of being spirit-filled. Here's the first one. I'm going to give you four of them, all right? And uh, this is where we're going to spend the meat of our time this morning. First one is this. The first thing we got to understand is that the spirit, or he, we're going to say he, the personal pronoun he, he convicts you of sin. That's the first thing. Now, you say, hold on a second. I thought we were talking about benefits of the Spirit. I thought we were talking about good things here. Uh, You use that word sin, and that's an ugly thing. By the way, the Bible says all of us have done that. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all know, whether you're an atheist or not, you know, something's wrong in the world today, right? (laughs) Something just isn't right. Bible just flat out calls it sin. Sin is disobedience to God. Sin is missing the mark. Sin separates us from God. And so, but, but there's a point, though, where we can just kind of ignore that. And the Spirit of God does an incredible job of convicting you and me of what we've done wrong. Um, 
and so when, when you become a Christian, what I love is that the Spirit of God, He takes up residence within you, He leads you, He guides you, He teaches you, He instructs you, and then He gets to know you. And now, see, when, when you have someone that you really trust in your life, that the only way that you really trust them is because they know you, right? And you're willing to share things with them that you wouldn't share with anybody else. That's what the Spirit of God does. He gets in and He knows us, and He helps you have a desire for holiness in your life. And then He he also examines their lives, and at times he says, hold on, Tim, hold on. This area over here, we got to clean this up because this doesn't fit right. This is not what it is to live for Jesus. And so he convicts us that. John 16, 8 says, and when he come, he will convict the world of sin and God's righteousness in the coming judgment. Now, listen, I told you that um, the Holy Spirit is eternal. He's always been there. Let me give you an example in the Old Testament. How many of you remember the story? Well, of David and Bathsheba. Remember that story? If you don't, let me just real quick uh, tell you about it. David was king. And when you're king, it's good to be king, right? When you're king, you pretty much get everything you want. Now, the story tells us that, that David um, should have been doing what kings do and go out to war, but David had become, for whatever reason, uh, I don't know, lazy. Uh, he just, I don't know, maybe he felt privileged and, well, I am king and I'm not going to go to war. I'm just going to send everybody else off to war. And so it says that David um, goes out in the morning on his rooftop and he happens to notice a lady bathing. Now, I don't know about you, but most people, when they bathe, they don't do it with their clothes on. Are you following me? All right, so he sees a naked woman bathing. That's what's happening. Now, here's David, I mean, the, the king of Israel. Here's David, a man after God's own heart. Should be doing one thing, but he's doing something else. And by the way, personally, I, I don't think this is the first time he's probably seen Bathsheba up there. I think he knew what time to go up there, but that's just my interpretation. Anyway, he goes up there. Finally, this time, though, he says, find out who she is. Bring her to me. And she's brought to the king, and when you are brought to the king, you don't deny the king, and so the king sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. So she, you know, a few weeks later, David didn't know this. She goes back home a few weeks later. She sends him a text message. Says, hey, we're in trouble. Well, maybe it wasn't through text. I don't know, pigeon or something. But, hey, we're in trouble. We're in trouble here. Uh, I'm pregnant. David, so David still um, is not convicted by his sin. David still is like, okay, I have a problem. And here's what you and I typically do. I've got a problem, so I need to correct this problem. I've got to fix it. So David um, sins for her husband who's out fighting Uriah the Hittite, and come back home. And he, David says, listen, here's man, listen, I'm so proud of what you're doing. I appreciate all you're doing out there. I want you to go home and just spend the weekend with your wife, man. You know, just go and have a good time. You know, put a little Barry White on. You guys make some love. It's going to be awesome. Just go and do this. See, David's hoping that he will sleep with his wife. And when she says, I'm pregnant, no one knows. The problem is, is that Uriah has more integrity at this point than David does. And Ryan says, I'm not doing that. Man, there are men out there fighting. I, I, I can't go and do that. I, I, it would be a dishonor to the king and the kingdom and to my Lord. I can't do that. David, I mean, David even tries, he tries to get him drunk to get back. And he, Uriah just will not do it. Finally, David's like, this isn't working. we got to go to plan B. And so he has the commander put him on the front lines where the fighting is fiercest and he is killed. David now has committed adultery. He has, um, it, it has a child from this adulterous affair. Now he has the husband murdered. And, um, and, and so, you know, he thinks, okay, well, that's taking care of that. 
And David goes on being king until one day Nathan the prophet shows up. And Nathan, Nathan says, David, can I tell you a story? And the king loves stories. He wants to be amused by stories. Sure, tell me a story. He says, there's this guy I know. He's got this, um, this, this little lamb. And, man, it's the only one they have. They're not very wealthy, but they have this lamb. And, man, it has become like the family pet. I mean, the, the dad, the, the, the father, he feeds it from his own table. He eats from his own plate. Um, I mean, the kids play with it. I mean, they just, they've named this thing. They love it. It's, it is the family. How many of you have a family pet that you just love? All right? Yeah. yeah. This, this right here. This is what's happening. And he says, oh, by the way, there's also this really rich guy down the road. I mean, more sheep than you can even count. His buddy shows up out of town. And so the rich guy decides he wants to throw him a party. But he's so stingy, David, that he doesn't want to use one of his sheep. So he goes over to his neighbor who only has one sheep. And he takes that sheep from him, slaughters it, and he feeds it to his guest. And the story says that David is enraged. He is furious about this. Like, I wanted, he wanted the guy dead. I mean, how can you do that? Nathan said, David, stop. I'm talking about you. You see, David, you have everything at your disposal. You're the king. I've given you everything. God has blessed you. And yet, because of sin that is in your life, you decided to take what was not yours, and you tried to cover it up, and the Lord is very disappointed in you. Now, a beautiful thing happens here, though. David acknowledges his sin. He realizes I have sinned against the Lord. Matter of fact, if you got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51 real quick. Because, and we're getting to the Holy Spirit here, I promise, because you may be wondering what rabbit trail I'm on here. Psalm 51, and I'm old and I cannot read it now without my glasses, says this. I want you to look. Psalm 51 is David writing this psalm after he's been convicted by the Nathan by Nathan the prophet, after the Spirit of God has convicted him. And it's, it's, it's a psalm of confession and restitution. Um, I, I encourage you to read the whole psalm. Starting in verse 7, he says, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. Can I just tell you real quick, when you sin and you break God's heart, you know what? It always steals, it always robs your joy. See, Satan is the father of lies, right? And Satan wants to tell you what this is going to do is going to be fun. You're going to find, and you know what? Let's all be honest. Sin is fun in the moment, typically, where we wouldn't probably do it. There's joy in that, but we know that after the fact, see, I don't think David was full of joy, knowing that he had impregnated a woman and wasn't his wife, and that now he had had her husband murdered. Anyway, and he says, um, so give me back my joy again. You have broken me. By the way, I don't think you ever find true joy again until you allow Jesus to break you. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit in me. And then I want you to look at verse 11. And he says this, Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take, my translation says, your Holy Spirit from me. You see, David had tasted what it's like to truly experience the presence of God, even when it means conviction of sin. And David realizes now, this is what I want. All this stuff in the world, you know, and that's the, the, the sex and the power and the money, that is nothing. What I want 
is your spirit. And David is pleading with him, God, please don't let your presence leave for me. I don't ever want to be out of your presence. Please don't banish your Holy Spirit from me. Isn't that awesome? And so I would just want to encourage you this morning and me as well that when the Spirit convicts us, when he gives us a spiritual spanking, so to speak, it, it hurts. It's not, it's not exciting in the moment. It's not fun. But the end result is always restitution with Jesus. It's always back in the presence of Jesus, and it's always where your joy is restored. Amen? And that's an awesome thing. So that's the first thing I want you to understand, is that he convicts us of sin. Second thing is this, and this is my favorite part of the whole message here, is that, number two, the Holy Spirit transforms you and me into a brand new person. Are you with me? A brand new person. Um, I I mean, because I'm telling you, who I was before Jesus and who I am after Jesus is a totally different guy. And there is nothing that I could have done on my own. Um, and that's the amazing part, man. amazing part is that Jesus can, listen, he can transform anybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, he can even transform you. See? Yeah. Is, you, right. And, you know, you're probably wondering, really, that guy? Yeah. I mean, he can transform anybody, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. David committed adultery, had an affair, committed murder. God restored him. And, and I think, man, as, as we're kind of walking, as I've been walking through the book of Acts this month, um, you know, knowing that this is the, the birthday of the church and things like that. I think of, I think of the Apostle Paul, and who Paul wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. And, but before he was Paul, he was a guy named Saul. And Saul, well, he, was, he was a devout Pharisee. I mean, he, he was a Jew to the nth degree, and he lived to the letter of the law, and he had letters in hand on the way to Damascus to go arrest followers of the way, those were what they call followers of Jesus, to go arrest them or to even have them murdered. As a matter of fact, I, I don't challenge you in your own time, um, go, read, go read Acts chapter 9 and look at this story. We don't have time to do it here. But, at, but um, in Acts chapter 9, it says it, in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Then you go and you read a little bit more of that, and Jesus shows up. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The Spirit of God gets a hold of his life. He has a guy come and, and, and pray for him, and, and he, he's blinded for three days, and the scales come off his eyes. And then you just go down a few verses to 15, and Ananias is told to go over. And by, I love this. So Ananias is like, hold on, Jesus, hold on just a second. You do realize this, this is the guy who's been trying to murder us, right? I, I'm not real. I mean, you, you know, sometimes Jesus puts you in uncomfortable situations. Let's just be real about it. And I'm, I'm not really wanting to go and, and share the love with this dude. Uh, Jesus says, go. And look what he says here. It says in verse, at, at, um, at verse 15, I believe, because um, I didn't write it in my notes. But he said, but the Lord said, go. And then he said, for Saul is my chosen servant. Did you hear that? The murderer, the guy who has letters in hand to go arrest people, I have chosen him to be my instrument. I want him to take the message to Gentiles, which is just remarkable, because Gentiles and Jews don't like each other, all right, in, in, in this culture in that day and age, and they didn't like each other at all. And Paul is a Jew to the nth degree, and here's, now I'm going to go to Gentiles, even to kings and to the people of Israel. How about that? Saul went from a, a, a murderer to a servant of Jesus. Now, that transformation, hear me this morning. Please hear me. No matter who you are, 
no matter what you have done, you are never, ever too far gone for the Spirit of God to transform your life. Know that. And I don't know anything else that can transform you. I've tried a lot of things. Now, I know this. We live in a very cynical time. Um, even, even church folks can be cynical. I can be cynical, you know, because life is hard. Sin just is, is rampant. Our culture is changing. Um, and so I, a lot of times we often think, I, I was following this one person on, on Facebook, um, and, and she just talked about how the end of times were coming. And, and for for 2,000 years, the end of times have been coming, so we just got to quit getting caught. But this is the end. We have a tendency, though, sometimes when all we're seeing, this is it, the end is, is coming. And, well, the end is coming. It, it may be another 2,000 years, but it's coming. But, you know, we, 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 this is where we are. But if, as long as you have Jesus, no matter how bad it gets in our culture, no matter how bad it gets in your life, as long as there is Christ and his spirit, you always have hope. Um, Russell Moore, who's the president of ethics in the Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church, I've read a couple of his books, it's fantastic. But he wrote an article in the New York Times a few years ago. And he recalls a conversation that he had with evangelical theologian Carl F.H. Henry. Now, Carl F.H. Henry was the guy who did pretty much all the research for Billy Graham. Um, very noted theologian. And so Moore said this. He goes, when I start uh, to get discouraged about the future of the church, I remember a conversation I had a few years ago with evangelical theologian Carl F. Henry. He said, several of us were lamenting the miserable shape of the church. So we asked Dr. Henry if he saw any hope in the coming generation of evangelicals. And he said, I will never forget his reply. He said, why, you speak as though Christianity were genetic. Of course there is hope for the next generation of evangelicals, but the leaders of the next generation may not be coming from current evangelical establishments. They are probably still pagans, full of sin, kind of like David, maybe like Saul, like you, like me, right? Um, he says, who knew that Saul of Tarsus would become the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis or a Charles Coulson who was in the, the Watergate scandal with, with Nixon? Um, they were unbelievers who once were saved, and that once they were saved by the grace of God, now were mighty warriors of the faith. And then he said this. He said, you know, the next Jonathan Edwards, he was, just, he was a great preacher, he might be the man driving in front of you that has that Darwin fish bumper sticker decal. The next Charles Wesley may be a profanity-spewing hip-hop artist. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk at a fraternity house. The next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for gay pride. The next Mother Teresa might be managing abortion clinic right now. And the point is, and hopefully you get the idea, is this. God can change the hardest of hearts and use them for his kingdom purposes. We have got to see everybody as a potential for the kingdom of God. Nobody is too far gone. Why did, why did God choose Saul, Paul? Why did he pick him, this murderous, hate-spewing Pharisee? Well, um, Dr. Friedemann, uh, Elijah and Zeke's dad, he, um, he preached on this a few weeks ago, and he said, he, he suggested four things. I just thought this was awesome as to why the Holy Spirit transformed Saul into Paul. One, he was brilliant. He needed, you know, he was very well educated. He was trained under the most sought-after rabbi of that time, Gamaliel. He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament eventually, so we know he was smart. He also was a Jew in a Gentile world. In other words, um, he was great for those, those Jew-Gentile crossovers. 
Um, it, it just he, he could speak Aramaic and Latin and Greek. But the third one and, and fourth one are what I really love. Matt said the third one is that he was just the worst of all sinners. And you know what? I can relate to that. <laughs> um, Paul, Paul put himself in that camp. Second, uh, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a trustworthy thing that deserves all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. And I, I, man, wow, I'm right there with you. And then the, the fourth thing that Matt said was this, and I love this. It's because he uses all because God knows the future, or what Matt called he was a projection God. And, and he, he, he gave this quote from a book about a guy who was a baseball scout. And he said, there's this, this guy quoted, he said, there's four kinds of scouts. Five are poor scouts. Five are pickers. They just look for weaknesses. Um, 5% don't plan. 85% are, are those who, who um, you know, they just look for the talent. And he goes, but then there's those, the, the last guy here, there's the, the projection, projection scout. In other words, he looks for how coachable a kid was. He, he saw a flaw in his swing, but he thought, you know what? With the right coach, he, that could be corrected. And years down the road, he could envision with, with, a, with a great coach and mentor how this player could play. And so he used rose-colored glasses looking to see the potential rather than the current state. Can I just tell you, that, that rocked my world. Because right now, I've had a lot of failures in my life lately. And many times I thought, man, God is just done with me. But I was reminded of the truth that God is a projection God. He sees where my past was. He even sees my present state. But you know what? God says, with the help of the Holy Spirit, little tweaking, little coaching, I see what Tim Burnett can be. And guess what? No matter what failure, no matter what sin, you are never too far gone. Isn't that awesome? God is in the business of transformation. And he can change anybody at any time. And, and let me just say this as a side note. Remember, heaven is not all there is. We tend to think, man, I'm going to get saved, and I just can't wait to go to heaven. No, you were not saved to sit. You were saved to serve. And that means he's not through with you. He wants to transform you so he can go and do, use you to do something great. So what's not important is not your past or even your present, but it's that God sees your future. Amen? Let me give you the third thing here. I've got two more. I don't know how we're doing on time, but I've got two more here. Third thing is this, is that he inspires, the Spirit of God inspires witness. He gives you the power or the ability. Matter of fact, look at Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says this. Um, this is right before Jesus ascends, and he says, listen, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. All right? Now, listen, when, when you receive, it's not, it's not your power. It's not your neighbor's power. It's not your pastor's power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says right here. You're going to receive power when the Spirit of God comes on you. And then here's what's going to happen. As a result of that power, you are going to be my witness, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now think about it for just a second. Now think about it. You and I are to be witnesses. How many of you... Um, you know, just, well, I heard about the free t-shirt thing. How many of you love to get free stuff? And, and I'm looking forward to my free t-shirt, by the way. I just, I just want you to know that. Yeah, of course, yeah, and we get new, anytime you get something new and exciting when Christmas comes around, or let's, you know, let's say, for example, I'm a drummer too, and let's say a DW drum set has always been my dream, I'll never afford that, but say somebody gives me a DW drum set and maybe a rack system around it and zillage and cymbals, 
Do you think I'm just going to put that? I, I, I have a drum set in my shed. Do you think I'm just going to go put that in my shed and never tell anybody? Heck no, I'm taking pictures of that puppy. I'm putting it on Facebook. I'm putting it on Instagram. I'm putting it on Snapchat. I mean, every social media, I'm calling people up. I'm saying, come over, come over, and you're going to want to play the drums, right? You know, it, we're going to tell people about it because when something incredible happens in your life, when something transforming happens in your life, what do you do? You tell people about it, right? Come on, folks. Jesus has transformed you. He has changed you, and you and I should now have the power, not on our own, but through the Spirit of God, to go and be a witness for him. And let me tell you, every because a lot of people say, well, Pastor Tim, that's your thing. That's not my thing. No, first of all, it's not my thing. It's everybody's thing. Every person who receives Jesus and receives the Spirit of God and is transformed has the responsibility to be a powerful witness for Jesus. Now, not everybody does it the same way. Let me explain. There is a right way, and I believe there is a wrong way to share your faith. Um, one, of the th one day I'm going to write a book. And, and, and here's what the title is going to be. Every pastor should be an Uber driver. All right? Now, here's what I did. Um, I, I pastored a church for a while, and then we, 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 that just didn't pan out. And so um, I've started a grass company. I've been trying to do a couple different things. And so one of the things I did, because uh, I bought me a new truck for my grass company, and, and lawn care. And so I decided, I, you know, to help pay for this, I'm just going to try this Uber thing. And I'm going to go Uber on the weekends. Well, ended up, it's, it's not really worth the money. I don't make a lot of money. But the ministry is unbelievable. So, I, I, so every weekend, if I can, it doesn't happen every weekend, I try to go out on Friday and Saturday night because that's when uh, you get the most traffic. And most of the time, I'll be honest with you, I'm taking people from bar to bar. That's where I'm going. Well, one night, I, I, um, I, I got a little you know, ding on my, on my Uber app, and I go, and I... This guy's kind of standing in an obscure corner in a rough part of town in downtown Jackson. And then I see across the street from where he's standing. It was a little bar. I didn't even know it was there. I never even noticed it. He gets in my car, and the guy is, I mean, he is half lit. Um, not totally lit, but pretty darn close. And, uh, and he gets in my car, and the moment he gets in, he just starts talking, just starts rambling about nothing. I mean, I can't even, I can't even say hello. He's just talking. He's so intoxicated. And, uh, but I see on the app that we're going to Finian's, which is an Irish pub down on Fortification. And so um, I'm trying to, we're just driving, and I'm trying to get in, word in edgewise, but he's just talking. And we get to the traffic light. I'm on State Street where I'm about to turn left on the Fortification. And I can hear this noise. My windows are down. It's a beautiful night. And I have my windows down for other reasons because this guy just didn't smell that great either. But... He, he uh, I, you know, I can hear this muffled sound, but I, I just couldn't make out what it was. I thought maybe it was a car playing music. We, we go down to Finian's, and as I'm pulling in, I see these three guys standing outside on the sidewalk at Finian's. And they've got these, uh, this big cardboard sign, or this big sign that they've, they've got made up, and it says, all fornicators, adulterers, porn watchers, drunkards are going to burn in hell. And then they have this, what I heard up at the thing was this little tape player or something. They have some guy just, just, I don't know, it's a sermon playing or something. And then there was a third guy who literally was pointing, they have a, this cool balcony up there at Finian's, pointing at each of the guys going, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. I thought, oh my gosh. So finally I can get an edge, a word in edgewise, my friend here, and I said, man, what, what, you know what's going on? He goes, oh yeah, it's those stupid Christians. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty stupid. And I said, um, uh, uh, I said, yeah, man. I said, that's that's crazy. I said, they hear a lot. He goes, yeah, they hear quite often. And I said, well, can I ask you a question? 
I said, now, um, I'm a Christian. And he, he kind of had this, look, you know, eyes caught in the headlight type look after he just, you know, said Christians are stupid. So, matter of fact, I'll tell you a step further. I'm actually a pastor. <laughs> he goes, and no lie, he goes, no blankety blank way. Then he gave me a high five. He goes, dude, that is blankety blank awesome. <laughs> it's like, well, thanks. That's the first time I've had those adjectives put in front of the word pastor before. So anyway, and I said, well, look, can, just, can I ask you, though? I said, does that, what they're doing, does that make you want Jesus? Oh, blankety blank, no, man. He goes, if that's what Jesus is all about, if that's what God's about, if that's what you Christians are about, I don't want that. I said, brother, let me tell you what, I don't want that either. I said, man, I just want to tell you on behalf of Christians everywhere, I apologize for that. I do. I said, and, and, and he was really intoxicated, so we weren't gonna, I wasn't going to lead him to Jesus in that moment. Well, I guess the Spirit can do anything, but you know, I just told him, I said, listen, man, um, um, that's, that's not what Jesus would do. And I said, I told him, and I, and I, and I stand by this, and I think, I think it, it supports it right here in, in the Word of God. I told him, I said, you know, if Jesus were here, Jesus would not be standing with those three idiots, knuckleheads, whatever, I'll use kind words, on the road. You know what Jesus would do? Jesus would go to that door at Finian's bar. He would open up that door. He would walk upstairs, and he would plant himself at that table with those people who were lost. And Jesus would just pour into their hearts. He said, tell me about your life. Tell me about your life. Jesus wouldn't stand at the road. Matter of fact, we all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But John 3.17, do you remember that one? Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, I came to save the world. See, we're, we've already condemned ourselves because of our sin. And by the way, when you sit down with Jesus and you have a one-on-one, you're going to know you're a sinner. You don't need a bullhorn. When the presence of God convicts you, you're going to know you're a sinner. And I just said to my friend, I'm so sorry. I, said, uh, I asked him what his name was, and I said, I'm going I'm to pray for you. I tried, if, if the conversation allows, and it doesn't always, but if they're open to it, uh, I, I always try to pray for them before they leave, or at least promise I will, and I do. And I just want to tell you, my friends, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive power to be my witness. But you don't have to beat somebody up over the head. Now, maybe that's effective somewhere. I, I, I watched the people up there. They were heckling them. There, there was no, I did not feel the presence of Jesus anywhere near there. I, I felt anger and hatred. God has called you and I to be a witness. But I think there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. And the power, this, the power is going to come from the Spirit of God. See, I think those guys were using the power on their own. I just, that's my opinion. Let me give you the fourth and the final thing here. I love this one. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. How many of you like to get gifts? We just said that, right? You get, I'm, I'm getting a T-shirt later. I found that out. Um, yeah, but look, when you become a, a Christian, the Holy Spirit gives you a gift. It's, it's called spiritual gifts, all right? Now, for Christmas one time, I got this. I got this, this T-shirt, and it just said, I'm gifted, all right? So every, every Christmas, I'll, some party, I'll pull this out, and I'll wear it or whatever. But you know, when I think about this shirt, I think, in reality, that's really what all of us should be wearing, only it says, I'm Holy Spirit gifted. Because every single one of us in this room, the Spirit of God has given you a gift. And, and here's a couple things. I, I was going to, how much, what time is it? What time do we have to leave? Okay. What, well, then we're okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> shoot, we got plenty of time. First um, Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter, you want to turn there, you can, or you can just listen. Starting in verse 4, it says, listen, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. 
all right? Uh, there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same Lord who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. Another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and to another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another Spirit, which would be an evil Spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak an unknown language, while another person is given the ability to interpret what was just said. It is the same uh, or excuse me, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts, and He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, that, that's, again, there's a whole sermon right there on that. A couple thoughts here real quick. Number one is this, is God or the Holy Spirit is the giver of the gifts. And a spiritual gift is different than a talent, right? Some of you are just, you're talented at certain things. That's not necessarily a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is something that happens once you have given your life to Christ. The Spirit infills you. And, then now, and, and there's, there's multiple different gifts. Um, you know, I mean, some of you have the, the gift of encouragement. Some of you have the gift of preaching and teaching. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Some of you have the gift of helps. Um, but I know this. The second thing is, is that every single believer gets a gift. So if you're a Christian in here, you have a spiritual gift. Now, I realize some of you may be like, this is kind of a new thing to me. I'm not really sure what that is. Um, and and there's, there's a couple different ways, but the best way, I think, to discern your spiritual gift is for somebody else to tell you what they see in you. So here's what I want you to do. You have an assignment. I want you this week with, with your, your Christian friends, uh, two things. One, you need to go out and find non-Christians and, and witness. But to your Christian friends, you need to say, you know what? Man, I've been noticing the way you handled that situation, that you really encouraged them. I never knew I was going to be a pastor until about 12 different people finally kept saying, you know, Tim, I think you have this gift in your life. And I finally, because I'm a little slow, got the message. Okay, I think maybe that's what God wants me to do. Every one of us has a gift, all right? And then I want you to understand this. Your gift is not better than somebody else's gift or vice versa. Because you know what we have a tendency to do? Compare, right? I mean, I, there are several people that I was like, gosh, I wish I, wish I could preach like that guy. And let me tell you what, the Holy Spirit has convicted me on that. You know, Tim, I did not make you to be like that preacher. I made you to be who you are, just be who you are. I've given you these gifts for a reason. Don't be envious of somebody else's gift. Be thankful for the gift you have and be thankful for the gift that they have. And then finally, the last thing I got from that, what we read in Paul's list there, is that your spiritual gift is not for you. Right? Spiritual gift is for someone else. God didn't give you the gift to benefit you, he gave you the gift so that it will grow his kingdom. All right, well, we, we've come to the end here, I think. So um, I, I hope you've gained a little bit better understanding of who the Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit's role or function is in your lives. We know that the Spirit teaches, he comforts, he helps, he guides, he listens, he prays, he intercedes, he convicts, he transforms, he makes us a witness, he distributes gifts. But my, my friends, the main thing I just want you to leave with today is I want you to know that God is in the business of transformation. And he's in the business of changed lives. And I just want to remind you again that the whole, you, are, you and I are never too far gone to still be used by Jesus. D.L. Moody, he was a great evangelist and preacher back in the 1800s. He was connected to the holiest, holiness movement right here in America. And, and um, there was a, it said that an elder, he, was, he was going to do a campaign in England, a preaching campaign. 
And um, an elderly pastor was kind of grumbling about it. He says, why, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's, he's uneducated. He's inexperienced. I mean, who does he think he is anyway? Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And another younger, wiser pastor said, no, sir, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. And I love that. I thought, that's my prayer for each of us, that the Holy Spirit will have a monopoly on your life that you're not going to share it with others or other things, other spirits. Holy Spirit, you just come in and you take control. Dwight L. Moody himself said this, and I, I promise this will be the last thing I'm going to pray. He said, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we're full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that we will empty, be empty. I pray that any pride or conceit in our lives, um, God is just going to, um, Lord, just, just we empty it. it. You take it from us so that we can be filled with your spirit. I pray that there will be those in this room today, God, whose lives are forever transformed. They, they've been, Satan has been feeding them a lie. They've been holding on to something. I'm never good enough. I'll never measure up. That's not true. Every person in Scripture that God used, they were full of sin. They had flaws. God, thank you for your spirit. Do a great work in us. Fill us so that we can go and be a witness for you. In Christ's name, amen.